Episode number nine, Kate Fox, Elizabeth Kavanoff, Diane Thompson, camp directors talking about storytelling with children at camp. Thank you, my dear brother. What a beautiful soul. All children love stories. Folk tales. They are messages from our ancestors. Then you have come to the right place. We will have a storyteller in every school. Storytelling can teach. You have that openness of a child. Good on you, Eric, for doing what you're doing. That's a great question. Thank you. I'm inspired just to be here. I'm really honored to be here. We tell stories. Know yourself. Follow your passion. And live with grace. Hey, welcome to another episode of The Art of Storytelling with Children. And today I have a surprise for you. Um, up till now on the show, we've been interviewing storytellers mostly, which, you know, they're pretty consistent and imaginative and creative people. But I decided that for this show, I was going to go out into the people who um, don't see themselves as professional storytellers, but instead see themselves as people who are the, the uh, I think the expression I just, just heard a few minutes ago was the end users, the people who, who um, use storytelling in the field, so to speak. Um, and I have on the call, online with me right now, three of those people that I really love so much who use storytelling and have used storytelling in camp settings and also in school settings. Um, I have uh, Zan Thompson is the program, Zan Thompson, Kate Fox, and Elise Kavanaugh. Uh, Zan is, is on the phone from California, from San Diego, California, and Kate Fox is on the phone um, in, I have to say Warwick, New York, Kate, but where are you in, Kate? I'm in Turkleville, New York. Turkleville, New York. And Elise is in... Uh, Dobbs Hastings Ferry. On oh, Hastings on Hudson. Okay. Um, so I'm just going to introduce each of you. So Zan Thompson is the program department head of the YMCA Camp Surf, part of the camping branch of the YMCA San Diego County. She's also an accredited visitor for the American Camping Association and is also on the State Board of Association for Environmental Outdoor Education in California. As a credential teacher with a degree in environmental biology and an advanced degree in education, she's worked with children in the outdoors through museums, the National Park Service, and for the last 15 years in residential environmental education settings. Um, and the best, the coolest thing about today is she lives on the beach in San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds great. <laughs> yeah. It's so fun. Kate, Kate Fox is the camp director, the current camp director of the Free Spirit Nature Camp. Um, Kate leads the camp community and designs the program there. Kate has 17 years' experience managing programs for children, including 10 seasons of summer camps. <laughs> she shares her understanding of ecology and the respect for nature through unique, creative activities that emphasize cooperation and healthy physical and emotional development. Uh, some of her favorite camp activities include outdoor cooking, small and huge puppet making, tie-dyeing, parachute games, uh, etc., camp activities we all love. Um, she has directed summer camp and after-school programs for the YMCA, the Boys and Girls Club, and youth organizations. And when she's not at camp, she develops programs for middle schoolers, uh, focusing on conflict resolution and character education. Uh, and I also have online, oh, yeah, so Kate, say hello. Hi. Uh, hi. <laughs> Thanks for having uh, me, Eric. Yeah. Uh, and Zay, say hello. For everyone to, hi there. Elise. So, so people on the on the podcast will have some clue of identifying the voices. So the first couple times we talk, we'll just say our names. Um and then Elise Kavanaugh is the founder and creator of the Free Spirit Nature Camp, one of the coolest day camps, day nature camps in the United States that I've been at. Um, Elise is not only a world traveler, <laughs> but also um, has really dedicated her life to working with children 
and to uh, furthering the environment and environmental education inside with with children. Currently, she works as uh, teaching kindergarten, first and second grade um, at the Spring Haste Elementary School in Dobbs Ferry. Is that correct, Elise? Springhurst. Springhurst, yeah. Um, and the last couple of years, she taught English as a second language in middle school. And so she's quite the all-around capable individual. Um, Elise is the one, I have to say, that is responsible for me becoming an environmental educator. And uh, because I was just thinking of myself as a storyteller and, and as an environmental activist. And she said, well, you should do storytelling to teach environmental education. I was like, oh, that's so obvious. And uh, Zay and, and Kate later on in my life also played a role in, in doing that. Um, so today we're going to talk about the role of storytelling in camp settings and how we use storytelling and the benefits of storytelling. One of the problems that storytellers have is that we sometimes forget how to describe the benefits. You know, we want to say, oh, this is such a great thing. It's so exciting. Um, it's so imaginative. It's so creative. And yet we don't really describe effectively to people outside the storytelling community what the benefits are. Mm-hmm. And so that's the reason I asked you three on the show today because I wanted you um, to share with the storytelling community how storytelling benefits you in the settings you work in um, and also in the camp settings you have worked in. Uh, okay. So who would like to go first uh, to tackle the question first? Silence. <laughs> <laughs> This is so we're, we're all, as teachers and educators we're always talking over all on top of each other so I guess I'll start <laughs> we're all trying to be so polite um, I think stories for me when I think of storytellers that I've had an opportunity to see including yourself I think the biggest word that comes to mind with when you um, address stories is the word magic and for me stories add a sense of magic and creativity to any occasion and so I think in a camp setting camps are magical by nature anyway because we take people out of their comfort zone. And we bring them to this setting where it's it's kind of structured and it's very awe-inspiring and different than what they're used to. And kids and even adults are really excited. And being outdoors really, I mean, it opens hearts and minds to a lot of things that they're not normally open to. And so when you throw stories into the mix, whether it's a story on a trail or at a campfire program, you know, by a professional storyteller or somebody who's you know, working with staff or brand new to storytelling, it just it brings that magic out, that ability to sort of weave together um, just something that you happen to see, like, hey, there's, you know, there's, a, there's a sea lion out on the jetty. How did it get there? And all of a sudden the kids are making up stories about you know, what happened. Or if you're trying to explain natural history, I, I think creation stories are fascinating. And I think they port- sort of provide a framework for um, just the imagination that, you know, how does the world, why does it look like this? And there's all kinds of different wonderful creation stories. So for me, storytelling adds that magic to natural history, to life lessons, to explaining our surroundings in a setting that already has that magic, but stories really add a lot to it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, stories are definitely something you can hang on to. They just, um, they're self-contained so that they're easy to remember in a sense. They create a moment. Uh, they create a pause. Yeah. in the memory. Yeah, what's nice at our camp is that we often tell the same stories year after year. Mm-hmm. So we're able to, the kids um, have that sense of magic, and as they grow up through the years, the stories have different meanings. So as the years pass and they hear the same story, they might reflect on it differently than they did the, the uh, time they'd heard it the previous year. That's definitely a value that's under that's under-realized by, I think, a lot of storytellers, how 
how one story can serve different audiences in one telling or multiple tellings. Mm-hmm. Or even the same audience hearing it over and over again. Yeah, in fact, they look forward to the same familiar stories that they know mm-hmm. over and over again because it's sort of reassuring to them and it's something that's familiar and something that they can um, identify with. That's very true, and I don't know if a lot of storytellers realize the powers that stories have. Um, and I and I'm thinking about kids. Like I'll hear kids talking about stories that they've heard and they remember them because you know you can stand up. And I, I'm a credentialed teacher too, and so I've taught in the classroom. And uh, you know I find that if you want kids to remember something, you have to give them you know a framework to 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 make it meaningful to make it interesting and stories are great for that and so when you when you get up and you tell stories to a group of kids like they they really remember that and i think giving them that 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 power of voice where they might turn around and tell a story you know for the first time too mm-hmm. is amazing i i remember um you know, I just just hearing kids talk to each other about that. My I was at a camp, um, and he heard a story being told around the campfire. It was a story that I know very well. It's sort of a you know a creation type story, and um, I had I heard him telling it to a group of 15 adults that he didn't know, and he's sitting around the campfire telling the story almost verbatim. You know, just actions and emotion, just as he heard it, and I, I it blew me away. And I think stories give a lot of of power and confidence to kids, too, because you can't really mess up a story. Mm-hmm. You, you can make it your own, and you can change it, and you can bend with it. And um, I think that's really empowering for people, too, whether they realize it or not. And I think that's something that stories have to offer to uh, anybody who's in a, in a situation where they're, you know, where they're working with kids. So as a storyteller, to come and give that to kids or to work with staff to be able to develop that on their own is pretty neat. Mm-hmm. I, I found at camp that, um, as Kate said, retelling a story, uh, and the kids want to hear it over and over again. Oh, yeah. every, but then they would actually want to en- enact the story, and we've had that. Um, I I mentioned um, in the little write-up I gave Eric, one story, Gluskabi and the Game Animals, mm-hmm. the kids could not hear that enough. And, and the... One thing that story teaches a lot, it teaches about conservation and stewardship of wildlife, but they love the story. Anything with animals, of course, is captivating, and they wanted to become the characters in the story, and they learned, as you said, verbatim, they learned the story exactly how it was told, but then it became their own, and Mm -hmm. they even amplified it and, you know, brought it to new um, heights. Uh, and I think those—that's a wonderful way of of learning. The, they learn the message in the story, and then then they can pass it on to other people. It um, as a teacher, I teach English as a second language. I use storytelling in my classroom because it gives the child a, um, pr- practice with the language. I'll tell a story. I'll tell it several times. Then we'll retell it together, and eventually mm-hmm. they'll retell it. They'll learn language. They'll learn the story and the message behind it, and it's it's very very empowering. And it also addresses um, how children learn because children have different ways of learning. There are many different, uh, like as in the buzzword in education lately is the multiple intelligences, mm-hmm. where everyone has a, a a different strength and a way of learning. Um, storytelling really taps into that because a lot of kids are auditory learners um, and it gives them an opportunity to really shine. So I I use that a lot in my teaching. 
Yeah, it's funny, Elise, because um, since you've been at camp on a regular basis, we've kind of made that part of the camp culture in that at the beginning of each week our staff enact a story for the kids, and it's very um, usually it's a story that we've told year after year. And the kids um, watch and listen to the story, and then they may hear the story told again during the week, and then by the end of the week they're encouraged to act it out themselves. And frequently they put their own twists into the story, or they'll bring a modern aspect into the story. So they're really claiming it for their own um, and really learning it, really having the confidence to know what the, the different steps of the story are and practicing telling it in that way because they've seen it and they've heard it. And like Lee said, with the multiple intelligences, they're really able to embody that story in a lot of ways. Um, and that's been one of the most um, successful uh, parts of camp for us. We um, lack an individual on staff who is a gifted storyteller, although all of us want to take responsibility and understand how important the storytelling tradition is to camp. And so enacting the story became our way of telling the story together as as a staff. But this year you'll have Eric for two weeks, so you will have a storyteller. Yes, we are very fortunate to have Eric come and spend two weeks with us this summer, and everyone is very excited about that. I'll, I have to share, when I first met Eric, I, um, he, he came to Hastings, and we sat on a bench outside the library that overlooks the Hudson River, and um, he had long red hair, and I said, Eric, tell me a story. And he totally captivated me with his story, and I said, you're hired. He <laughs> really added so much to the camp, um, especially... Um, Eric not only focuses on world folk tales, but he also has um, um, a wonderful collection of Native American stories. And at a nature camp especially, most of the messages are about um, man and nature and, and the connection. And so many kids don't even have that connection with nature nowadays. So these stories can bring them those stories, the connections, and uh, I think they're very valuable. That's and I just this is Anne. I, I just want to chime in a point from what you just said that stories can bring that connection with nature and there's a lot being spoken about in the education community these days that that connection or that lack of connection that kids have now with the natural world is really hurting them um, emotionally and their ability to learn effectively. And there's all kinds of studies coming out where you know just kids that have the opportunity to be outdoors and have connections with the outdoors. Um, are able to actually perform better in school. And so storytelling, I haven't seen any studies on this, but for anybody out there who's doing research or who is a storyteller, I'd be really interested to see if kids hear those natural history stories and, you know, that th that bridge to the imagination and the sense of the possible and everything that stories provide. I've never, it never even occurred to me before that storytelling could be a bridge to the outdoors for kids who have such limited access to it in their lives, like it, like in an inner city school setting or in a, in a place where you know spending time outside isn't really part of the culture, and storytelling could really reach that you know that part of the brain, and that's that's exciting. I'm going to have to look that up. <laughs> Day, <laughs> See if anybody's a, doing some that, research. That's, that's really neat. interesting, Day, because yeah. um, I've been developing my voice, you know, recently, like in terms of my storytelling voice, like what I do. And getting further and further away from other people's stories and more into my own work, you know. Mm -hmm. And one of the greatest things that's come out of that is this series of stories in which I teach tracking to the audience. Mm. <laughs> and it's it's amazing, you know. I get people at the end of the at the end of the show, people in that audience 
are so pumped up about tracking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and and one of those stories was I took my daughter tracking last year. Um, it's just this long story about one of those moments that just happen only once every thousand years with your kids where you're all of a sudden off on this adventure and you just have to seize it and you have to let everything else go. Um, and it's just, and I've done it a couple of different audiences and it's just, it's amazing how it is possible using storytelling to bring people in and to describe this skill set and descri- you're the one in the story using it for them and describing it to them and getting them interested and intrigued about it. Mm, I'm looking forward to that story, Eric. That's great. <laughs> no, that's great. That's perfect. Uh, so I tried you guys. But <laughs> this, the, the thing is, for me, it's exciting about storytelling. And this is the thing that I've been trying to tell the storytelling movement, is I feel like as a whole, as a movement of people who have this skill, that we have a responsibility to then find uh, the needs of the community that we're serving and to serve that need. To, to go out into that and to serve that need and to and to help those people in need who are either suffering from a lack of culture or a lack of connection or a lack of community or a lack of nature, uh, which right. is my particular pet peeve. But a community and nature definitely to me is the big thing. Hmm. You know, and well, to reach them. Yeah, one one of the things that we use stories for too is because because I run a residential program, so our our schools that come for after education for for natural history programs they spend the night and when and our for, summer camp for program on the east coast this is this is a this is a school during school a week of school so right. it's not during the summer people Correct. This is so we we run that program and we run the traditional summer camp program but in in both of those settings like for the natural history side you know, having stories that can teach lessons, like a real-life story, um, you know, something that has to do with the history of California that, that you know, then they can, they're, they're at an estuary and they can hear about, you know, what used to be there and, like, weave the, the historical um, aspects of what they're seeing into the story of a place over the last 100 years, which is, and kids are fascinated by that. Um, so t- stories that teach kind of along, you know, you're, you're teaching people tracking by your story, but stories that teach about a place um, and, our, and our interactions with that place, sometimes positive, sometimes not so positive, but what can we learn from that and move on and, that, that are hopeful, I think, are very, very valuable. And the other thing we use stories for a lot in our summer camp program is every night, you know, before the kids go to bed, this isn't exclusive to bedtime, but every staff member, you, kids hear stories. We want kids to go to bed feeling comfortable, feeling a sense of well-being. We never tell scary stories. That's not part of our culture. Um, but stories that um, that are sometimes values-based or stories that um, it's great as a staff member, and this is where, you know, every night might be a different story or two, and, you know, there might be two staff in the cabin and they each have a story they want to tell, but it's wonderful to have an opportunity to, you know, look at the dynamics of your group and what's going on, and maybe there's some kids struggling with homesickness, so, you know, they have a story that they can tell about somebody else that, you know, was ha- was having meeting a challenge and overcame that obstacle, or maybe there's, you know, some dynamic in the cabin that, that they want to work out, and stories can provide a really good outlet for discussion and dealing with real-life issues. So I think storytellers, um, you know, stories that I've seen or, or, or heard that deal softly with issues that can then turn around into these amazing discussions, springboard into these discussions with kids, um, are just incredible. We spend in our, we have a leadership program with uh, 15 and 16-year-olds, 
and for the entire two weeks, you know, they go through, you know, that, that can be d- discussed throughout those two weeks. But the discussions that come out of it, things, you know, books like Tuesdays with Maury or something like that, the discussions that come out of it are incredible. And it, it, it turns into the kids telling stories to each other about, you know, about life. And, um, yeah, there's, just, there's a lot of value in that. So I think stories that teach ideas or morals or lessons, not, you know, not necessarily in a specific way, but in a general way that then people can springboard off of are very valuable. So many of the classic uh, folk tales have um, like a moral message. Um, yeah. Some of them are even scary. Some of them deal with death. And there's a mm-hmm. lot of um, controversy about using stories that have um, morbid or um, frightening themes to them. I wonder what you think about them. I tend to be. I, I'm pretty. I'm pretty careful. I mean, I have. I focus a lot on some of my. One of my favorite books is a little book called Peace Tales, and they're it's fables from you know countries around the world. I like to be able to use stories from you know all different countries and all different. Um, That's by Margaret Reed McDonald. Yes. Um, I couldn't tell it's you the author. Book. Yes, the little yellow book. book. Yep, yeah, I love and, it. Uh, she's a guest on the show in December. Oh, great! So come oh, so on that show. You can be well, the give audience. her my compliments. It's a wonderful little <laughs> book and a great resource for you know stories with a moral that you can you can find something in just about any situation in that book. <laughs> I interrupted you. Please go back to the you were answering. No, I was going to say I think I think it's important to know you know know your audience and what kind of to what you were saying as far as um, I think with any story you need to make sure you you know it well or have have read it thoroughly before you just, you know, pick it up and read it or tell it, obviously. Um, I learned that lesson the hard way with the coyote story, teaching sixth graders when I was about 24 years old. And you have to be careful with some of coyote stories because <laughs> um, they're not always appropriate. But uh, I, I, I think I have to, I, I mean, for me personally, you, you do have to be careful. And I haven't, I don't work with a population that we spend more than, you know, one or two weeks. So sometimes, I mean, death is a real part of kids' lives, but you have to look at, okay, what, you know, what impact am I going to have and, you know, what's the result going to be? So I, we tend to focus more on situational things that kids have control over, but loss is a very real thing. Um, so I don't know. That's a good question. I don't have the answer to that. What do you think about it? What do you think, Kate? Let's ask Kate first. Um, it's interesting, uh, so just talking about the appropriateness of the stories, because um, since we are a nature camp, I've done some looking around and some research and some native stories to try to see what we could include. Mm-hmm. Um, and like like you mentioned, a lot of them are just not appropriate for children. Um, so I think that's something we really need to consider, and that's that's something for storytellers to consider also that we need we need uh, more modern twists on some of these older stories that are are appropriate um, mm-hmm. and and do have a constructive and positive and optimistic outlook at the end because some of some of the native stories really um, are are kind of uh, they're not they're they they don't leave you feeling happy <laughs> they mm-hmm. they leave you feeling sort of um, uncertain and and insecure um, but although they are they are the real they are the real tradition so. Um, just curious about how I know that um, Bruchak has has um, quite a number of stories that of native stories that have been adapted and that are very appropriate and do have very often a moral a moral um, that the child can take away that the listeners can take away. Um, but that's a struggle to try to expand beyond that in the native um, storytelling realm from our perspective. Elise. 
Uh, well, many stories have good and evil as a theme, and mm-hmm. um, you know, sometimes I think that children are protected almost to the extreme about hearing things about evil or death. Um, some of the classic folk tales, like um, that from Europe, from um, that um, part of the world, and from those traditions, have a lot of um, you know evil and um, di- death. I think in our culture we protect the children a lot from that. But as you said, you have to be very careful what you do introduce because sometimes kids get really frightened, especially if you're having an overnight. You wouldn't want to tell any story that would um, leave them with nightmares. But on the other hand, I think certain topics um, about loss, about um, parents dying or um, illness, there are stories that could help a child deal with those kind of issues in their life. And and in that respect, they could be very valuable. But in a camp setting, sometimes you don't want to open up those Pandora boxes. No, no, uh, more in an education setting, I would say. Or even in a family setting. I know some of the Native stories that I was reading had um, a very sexual overtone. Maybe, um, you know, if you had a continuing long-term relationship with a child, that would be a way to discuss that in a healthy manner with your children. But being that we are caring for other people's children, that might not be something that we would want to enter into with other people's kids. But I could see coyote stories. (laughs) Yes. A lot of the coyote stories are just inappropriate. Um, But I could see how um, in a a community or in a long-term situation, stories that include um, something off-color or something, um, a loss or a death, um, could be very, very uh, useful and constructive as a child grows. Yeah. Yeah, it seems almost silly that we're all sitting here talking about, you know, wanting everything to be G-rated when we know very well that the kids, you know, if they watch TV or if they, you know, if if they go to movies, they're probably exposed to all kinds of things. But I think what we're talking about is, you know, in, in camps, we have the ability to create, you know, a healthy atmosphere. And, and you know, that's, we, we have the ability to do that because it is a different situation. You know, they are removed from, you know, the normal the, the normal kind of setting, and even in some schools that I've been to that have, that have you know just amazing programs where they really you know get the kids to do different things, and it's it's a safe place and it should be, and I think kids have that. I think that's really healthy for kids to see positive, you know, G-rated messages that leave you feeling hopeful because there's so much out there that doesn't do that now. So I, I agree that I think that one thing that storytellers could really do is you know be a source of of positive positive stories and looking at some of the traditional stories and finding twists and you know or or making up stories that do have the ability to teach and bring hope and empower kids because kids feel so powerless now you know sometimes because there are so many negative issues and at least in my community I don't think we really have to we don't have to teach the kids about death because in the few times where things have come up inadvertently like you know maybe an insensitive somebody saying something in an insensitive way and, you know, somebody else, somebody's had a family member who's committed suicide or, I mean, there's a lot of gangs <laughs> in our community. And so kids kids are around violence and they see that and they, they know what happens. And so um, I think feeling, you know, having that hope and that positive message coming from stories is, is real realistic. It's funny because you think of stories growing up being fantasy, but I don't, I don't think that they are that way. I, I watch what they do to kids, and I, I really do think stories empower kids. 
and adults too. Adults like stories just as much as kids do. Now, this is a good point, to, a good moment to say that next week's show is with Kevin Cordy, and Kevin Cordy does children telling stories. He's mm. he's established a nationwide network for kids storytelling um, after school clubs, and it's oh. amazing. It's called Getting to Yes or Youth Empowered to Tell Stories. Um, That's great. And, and Rick Carson. On the 26th of, Jan- of June, if this is the podcast, it would be three shows from now, Rick Carson is doing uh, Working with Fear and Telling Scary Stories to Children. Oh, wow. It's really interesting. Uh, <laughs> as I found my voice more and more, I've realized that my a lot of the stories that I've created are are very dark. Mm-hmm. And and they're dark because they come out of my experience, you know, right. of seeing the world as a place that has darkness in it. But they're teaching stories that teach about that darkness and how to avoid it. Um, and, and in telling those stories to younger kids, um, I didn't want to tell a story that would frighten them or scare them, but I did want to tell a story that was honest with them. Right. Um, and so I, I realized that sometimes a story is scary depending on the level, and, and I'll talk about this with Rick Carson in detail, but it really depends on how you tell it, too. You know, you can say, and then she died. The mm-hmm. end. And it's like, oh, okay, well, she died, you know. But then you can say, or you can say, and then the spider grabbed her by the neck and ripped her, you know. <laughs> right, right. You know, and the kids are like, ah. <laughs> I mean, it's all it's all how you sell it, you know. Um, but I think, like uh, Dan said, that um, we do work very hard to create a safe place for kids in camp, um, in a place that's away from maybe some of the media influence that they have, and it's a unique place. And I think because of that, they are more open to hearing the stories and open to the magic that can be created by a storyteller. So I think that the responsibility to make sure that that does leave the child with a positive message is all the more important yeah. in a camp setting. Yeah, that's, that's totally true. That's true because, I mean, stories are, after all, the more more traditional, you know, way back when, when there wasn't movies, they had stories. <laughs> and so, you know, we're kind of going back to our roots when you think about storytelling and sharing information and thoughts and ideas and stories verbally and you know whether you're acting them out or or or, or I think um you know Eric you were the one of the first people that I saw just really get into a story and captivate 200 people just jaw dropping could hear a pin drop because you're so into the story and I mean we may as we could have been watching a movie we were so you know so enthralled with it but it was our imaginations kicking in it was our brains and I think storytelling you know having that ability I agree with what you just said having it be positive and having it be a really great experience because um you know I don't know what what kids I don't know if they go home and I don't know if their parents tell them stories and if they're you know grandparents and I don't know if that if that has persisted in whatever culture whatever family they come from but what a wonderful opportunity in this kind of setting in, camp, in camps and school programs to use stories, which are the traditional way of relaying messages and, and you know, and, and teaching in a, in, a, in a deeper way. Mm-hmm. It definitely is That's, a real advantage of telling stories when you have a fire. There's something about the fire that makes mm-hmm. the audience so much easier. Um, Kate or Elise, you were going to... Fire, you just mentioned something that I was going to talk about. Um, Storytelling adds another dimension to an experience. Here you're sitting around the fire, which is magical to begin with at camp. And then Eric tells a story about how fire began. And it makes that experience totally unforgettable. And it it opens up a child's imagination and and it... it, um, expands their dreams it's just an amazing thing and and they'll never forget that campfire because of the story 
there was a campfire program, uh, and the when the campfire program started, uh, it was daylight, and when it ended, it was dark. And right before I told, I noticed that the great the Big Dipper was right above. So I did the one the the Bruhawk. I can't pronounce his name. I'm so sorry for him. But, Ruchek, yeah, yeah, Ruchek. His his uh, one of I, I don't think it was his. I think it was another one about the Big Dipper, and I think it was Coyote and the, the Wolf Brothers, uh, which I shouldn't shouldn't be on record about that. But anyway, I did, <laughs> I told that one, and when I pointed at the sky at the end of the story, the whole audience went, like with one voice, went, ooh. <laughs> like, <laughs> like they hadn't noticed the Big Dipper, you know, and I think they would have gone home not noticing it. But it was, you know, the... They had the fire and the the whole program, all these people doing there. It was it was a talent show at a local um, uh, for a community thing I did, and and you know looking up at the sky and the whole audience having that immediate reaction of just this connection with those stars, this really personal connection. No, that's true. There's something about I mean because of the fire inherently it's dark too, and there's something about darkness and having the ability to tell stories around a campfire or in a night hike, or when the kids are all in their sleeping bags and it's dark outside, that's very, it's a, it's a very safe kind of environment because you're not, you know, you're not exposed, you're not out in the light. And I remember reading something about um, Bob Ditter. He's a psychologist that works a lot with camps around the country, and he was talking about how to communicate with boys. And he said, if you want to reach boys, they have to be doing something or, you know, in a safe place like it's dark. <laughs> So maybe that's an environment, maybe that has something to do with campfire programs. And, you know, there is that magic of the fire where, I mean, who gets to watch a campfire anymore? I mean, it's mesmerizing watching the the sparks fly off and wondering, oh, how come little fires aren't starting and they're flying over your head and landing on your pants and (laughs) and the fire's dancing. And and you're listening to this amazing story. And so that's, I mean, something about fire and and darkness, you're right, is really, I think it opens minds a little bit more to, um, to what they're listening to. So that's. That's, that's a neat observation. I never really thought about that either. Storytelling with children. <laughs> Storytelling with children. Storytelling with children. So what are some ways that you get your staff more comfortable to use a story with the kids? Do there different techniques any of you three use? Oh, um... I know. Well, we're about to go into staff training on Friday <laughs> for two weeks, and I know that we we tell stories as part of we tell stories um, at, at our camp. Again, being a resident camp, um, we tell stories at campfires. Their stories kind of permeate the week um, before we, before the kids get here. I meet with staff, and I you know, and I tell a story. And I never you know, I never know what I'm going to tell ahead of time. I always. I tell a story. I don't know what I'm going to tell until that day. You know, I'm always looking for stories to stockpile and things that I think are great, but it depends on what's happening at the moment. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, like, the story comes to me. The right story for that moment is is what I end up telling the staff. And, and um, you know, and it kind of sets the mood for the week. And then they go right, they meet their kids, and then we have an opening story by our camp director. And then he tells the story of the camp and, you know, why we're here, gives a surf report because we're beach camp. Um, <laughs> and then goes into kind of a, a like a learning opportunity story. And then we go into our first campfire and tell stories. They hear stories before they go to bed at night. You know, for evening programs, they hear stories before bed every night. There's a closing story. There's stories built into the whole week. And so staff get a sense of that during training. And I think 
think I think you mentioned earlier, Eric, something about story, some, being able to find your voice. And I think stories are a vil- really valuable part of that because there's the there's the part of the training that you know this is how you teach surfing. This is what you know. This is getting certified to belay at a climbing tower and all those things that are very you know lesson oriented. But stories are much more personal, and I think having that modeled for them. And, you know, being able to repeat the story that they heard during staff training that they thought was so great and making it their own. And what I find is about a third of the staff end up with a story that's theirs. Nobody else even tells it anymore that summer because, oh, if it's the gorilla story, Tim has to tell it. Do you know what I mean? Like people just, they want to hear it over and over because that's the story that 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 particular staff member got really excited about and, you know, everybody loves and he's got to tell it. And every week he tells it, you know, people just, it's it they love it more and more. And um, and then there's that, and then there's the staff member who's maybe a little quieter, but you know, in their cabin group at night, telling you know, telling stories to their kids uh, each week and building building on those. It, it gives them a voice, and I think it really um, it's kind of a personal thing in a safe setting, but a way for people to. Um, I think it's a confidence builder. To it, Jim. Yeah, it, it does. But again, you, you know, to start off in that cabin group setting where you've got 10 kids all tucked into bed and there's you and another staff member and you're telling a story, you know, it's, it's, there, you're not really on the spotlight. You're not in front of, you know, 200 people and you kind of work up to that slowly by, by building your, building yourself up in the smaller setting to doing it in a larger setting. Um, and that's, you know, and that's pretty neat to see. It's pretty neat to watch people do that. When people come to me and say, how do you get comfortable performing in front of 1,000 people? I say, I don't. I got comfortable performing in front of my four-year-old sister when I was eight. There you go. <laughs> and when she was 34, or like 33 now, I, when I go visit her, I still tell her a story. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've gotten better and better each year because she's gotten older and wiser each year, and i got to get better. She's not listening anymore. <laughs> so if you want to get good at telling a story, find a two-year-old. Right. So, Kate or Elise, do you want to comment on the how you get your staff uh, into storytelling? or how you get them involved? Well, I remember when I was um, directing the camp and um, having different storytellers come, you, Bill was there. Um, I remember for myself, I wanted to tell stories too, and I was very um, self-conscious and um, nervous, and I read a story over and over and over again and practiced it, and then I finally told it to the group, and it it was a wonderful experience. I felt... Um, like I was really expressing something from deep inside because when you learn a story to tell to others, as we said before, it becomes part of you. You embrace mm-hmm. the story, it becomes yours, and then you tell it in your way. Um, one thing that I um, found with younger staff, a lot of times they they thought it would be okay to read the story to the group, and that's it's not the same experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would try to discourage that, but I, I understood they were nervous and they thought just by reading it that it would be the same story. But it's not, and I think that as they grow more confident and can tell the story, there's no mistakes because it's your story when you're telling it, and that's something that they have to learn, that it's okay to tell the story by their from memory, and if they change it or make mistakes, it's it's still their story. Uh, Kate, do you want to add on the the staffing thing? Or? Um, I share a similar struggle that Elise mentioned, which is that the that the staff frequently would like to read the story mm. rather than learn the story, and that's that's always a struggle. We're going to um, work on that this summer. Yeah, we're going to work on that, right? 
Um, <laughs> but I think that um, you know, encouraging them to to personalize the story or to make it their own um, also helps. And I know that we also have a totem pole at camp that Eric was instrumental in creating that has images on it that tell a story. I think it's Bill. Is it Bill? Yeah, it was yeah, Bill. Bill. The, the um, Raven story. Yes. Yes, it's Bill's yeah. story. It's well, we've we've had we've had a totem pole that's been handed down at camp over many years that <laughs> has images on it that prompt the storyteller to tell the story, and I think that that's something that um, we may work on with our staff this season. Um, having uh, I I've heard Native Americans have had a storytelling bag that has items in it that that remind them of different parts of the story, and perhaps that's something that we can work on this summer. Um, having our our staff who would like to take responsibility for telling stories, or everybody really, um, have have a little bag of items that might help them uh, remember what comes next. Well, guys, um, we, we have actually, we are two-thirds of the way through the show, which is astonishing. It's how quickly the time has gone. Um, <laughs> really? So I want to uh, make sure every all of you have the chance to really add, in terms of storytelling in a camp setting, is there anything not focusing on what we've wandered into right now, but in terms of telling stories in the camp setting, is there anything else that each of you would like to add? And this is not a final say. This is just um, some other point you may have thought of it didn't fit into our, our natural conversation or you were thinking about earlier. Hmm. I know that um, in uh, one of the cool things about the camp movement is is the sort of the back-to-the-land feel. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of the stories that are told in terms of the native tradition, when you tell them in the land, they are just so much more present for you when you're telling them. You know, I've I've told certain stories in a in a building, and then I've told the stories outside in a circle, and telling the stories outside in a circle is just it blows me away. <laughs> you know, you're talking about hawk and rabbit, and there's rabbit. <laughs> oh, look, there's hawk. It's like, wow. Or um, I've been really into doing a lot of research on Aesop the last couple of years. So Aesop is a lot of animal stories. Mm-hmm. And I would tell them in, in in buildings, and, I mean, it's okay, you know. But then I had an opportunity to tell them outside, and something about telling them outside it just made it much more real, much more pertinent. Right, and kind of along those lines, if if – if you have storytellers that are listening that um, are, are creating stories, I think having stories from your area is absolutely invaluable. I mean, how, you know, we're on the coast of, of Southern California, and so we have a lot of chaparral, and, you know, we have, a, we have a salt marsh and dunes. And, you know, so stories about forests don't really go over very well here because it doesn't really fit. So I think that finding stories that, you know, that are very just local to your community so storytellers can best serve the their you know if if they're looking to outreach to you know day camp and resident camp programs in their area being able to tell stories to the kids that have to do with the animals that 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 live there um and the you know the the wildlife the topography the the local history is and that's really for some areas that's really that's really tough because a lot of the stories are you know mountains and forests and things like that so um Ocean stories. I don't know. Maybe if somebody has a good source of ocean stories, I haven't come across that many. <laughs> but that would be something that would be very helpful. The Eskimos tell a lot of really interesting ocean stories. Ah, there you, you go. Some of the Eskimo books. Okay, but that I mean, to, as you talked earlier about 
helping storytellers to be resources to their communities and, and outreach for the communities. So working with, you know, working with that educational side, you know, developing stories or looking for stories and sharing stories that, you know, that teach about that the, the local area would, would, again, be another step towards developing that sense of place, um, you know, for kids and that sense of, of knowledge and connection to, to the natural world that's around them. And that's really important. And part of that is the storyteller themselves has to really take the time to be in the natural world and to learn those things themselves. You know, yes. and that takes time. You have to be outside. It's actually not that hard. Anyone listening thinking, "Oh, I can never do that." It's easy. You just find a spot in the woods out behind your house and you sit there for an hour a day. And believe me, at the end of two or three years, you're going to know a lot. <laughs> a lot of stories on your house. It's very relaxing too. Yes, that would that would be. <laughs> Isn't there a story about the rock, the the, the storytelling rock? Oh, um, the Abenaki story. Joseph Joseph tells it. Uh, it's his first story he tells in Keepers of the Earth about right. Grandfather Rock, and he the, the boy brings the the pheasants he's caught, or the quail he's caught, the birds I'll say <laughs> he's caught, and gives them to the rock, and the rock tells him all the stories. Is that the one? Yes, I think so. That's a wonderful way to embark on storytelling at camp, I think, to to start off with that story about, you know, how stories are so important and it's like they're like gifts mm. and uh, how everyone can tell stories. The children definitely need to know that they have a voice, too, and they can they can tell their stories. They can make up stories. They can share stories from their life. Uh, with others in a very safe, um, accepting environment. Well, and those stories that draw on your personal experience, too, like, Eric, you talking about the story with your daughter, you know, teaching people how to track, and that was just something that happened. And I think those are the stories, speaking personally, when, you know, you start talking about something that actually happened, and it's exciting because you're, you know, you're drawing on your personal memory and you can, you know, elaborate by sharing your feelings about that um, and that's that's something I think storytellers probably already know this, but I don't think they should be afraid to develop stories that have to do with it doesn't have to be you know some some parable about you know different animals representing different emotions, but just about an experience maybe they're not used to being outside and they're the kids aren't either and if they're telling a story about that you know that discovery you know with the outdoors whether it's through, you know, fishing or hiking or tracking or camping for the first time, like that's probably a story that kids could really relate to because maybe they've never been camping, but they developed about a real-life experience. That could be really great because that, that could open a door for somebody else to be like, yeah, yeah, that, what makes me nervous, but I can do that too. or You know what I mean? So um, I, I just love those real-life experience stories, and, and kids are interested in that. I mean, I think people people are fascinated by other people's experiences, real-life experiences, as well as the the creative ones. I, I found that um, passing a talking stick around a circle generates storytelling among campers. If you make a beautiful talking stick, and when someone's holding it, it's their turn to speak, and they can tell a story or pass it to someone else, um, that's a good way to get storytelling started. And it can be really effective, too, if you have a, a group that's meeting for a long time. So there's a real tradition. Um, right, exactly. Um, I had Medicine Story on this program, the second show, and he we spent a lot of time talking about the talking stick mm. um, and the use and how to do it. 
he runs programs in prisons that he's ran for 20 years. You know, the same stick for 20 mm-hmm. years. Can I just imagine how many stories that stick has heard? Wow. Around the circle. Wow. Yeah. Uh, well, we have past time. Time is fast approaching. I'm like, oh, there's so much to talk about. Okay, so I want to ask one more set of questions here. Um, what sort of of um, in terms of people who approach when in your time in camp, uh, what different people approached you in terms of people to be hired for entertainment or to work with the camp or to be hired, who who has approached you and and um, in the last couple of years, who has who has sent you materials and um, and I know I know Zay you don't really hire people from outside, but um, but I just I'm just curious what things have you gotten in the mail? I haven't gotten any solicitations from any storytellers. Well, not it's- but. What are the other things then? If you're not getting solicitations to storytellers, what are you getting? People who want to bring animals or reptiles who like, you know, um, science programs where they bring dry ice or do fancy things like that. <laughs> um, I don't hire them actually because <laughs> that's not what that's not what camp is about for us, you know. Um, although. Um, I, I would certainly consider local storytellers, but our, our areas it doesn't seem to be rich in local storytellers or ones who are uh, looking to be at camps this summer here in New York. Come here, come come serve us here in New York. Zay, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think if I've even got any solicitations in the past couple of years that have to do with kind of evening program-ish things. Um, a few years ago, I had somebody call me who was a square dance caller, and I can think of in the past 10 years, I think I've received one flyer from a storyteller. So I don't know if if there's just, and again, San Diego, I don't know. It's a huge place, um, lots of day camp programs. Well, but you wouldn't, you're not a potential market, really. I mean, people... Probably, probably not. Um, I... Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of other programs. Like there's a lot of day camps. So again, wor- you know, working for American Camping Association, there's tons of different you know day camp programs that I know use a lot of different what they would call vendors for all kinds of different um, programs. And I'm sure that um, I'm sure that storytelling is is in there at some point. And the American Camping Association, by the way, for anybody who's anywhere in the country, is a great resource for finding out about. Um, camps and it's and they're real helpful if you call the local chapter. Just go online aca.org and you can find out um, who the local contact is and talk to them and see. Hey, is there an approved vendor list I can get on, or are there camps I can find out yeah, about? Yeah, definitely. Because I was at the recently at the tri-state uh, ACA conference here on the East Coast, and out of over 400 vendors, I don't believe there were any storytellers. Wow. Yeah, and that's that's pretty typical. And it's kind of a shame because it's a really good match. And I think a lot of us are doing storytelling um, not very professionally. <laughs> We're having fun. <laughs> but successfully. Um, at school, I find uh, through the parent organizations that um, fund many enriching um, programs for the schools, mm-hmm. they have a, a, a list of storytellers at my school, they have someone come every year who works with the first grade 
and teaches the children how to develop their own story. His name is mm-hmm. Jonathan Crook, and he tells local, local folklore mm-hmm. and personal stories, and then he teaches the kids how they can tell their own story. But he's about the only person I know of in this area also. So there aren't many that are um, publicizing themselves. Right. I, I know. I work well, for them. Let me let me ask another question here for time. Okay. Um, and that is the three of you. Will each of you tell us what what are some resources? So I'm I'm thinking of people who who may be wanting to work in camp setting or maybe a teacher. What are your favorite resources for uh, finding stories that you use? Or um, in particular, I'm thinking of books. What are some books that you really rely on? Let's let Elise handle this one first. What books. Are some books? Well. Um of course, the Bruchak books with storytelling. Then there's a book about Awakening the Storyteller by Robin Williams, I believe. He's not the comedian. Um, but I use the Internet. I mean, if you Google a topic or, you know, local storytellers, you've, it's amazing how much information you can get. So I would that's what I would use as a resource. Kate or Jay? Uh, since we primarily try to focus on Native American stories and especially um, local stories, and a lot of the Bruchak stories are northeastern, um, we primarily use that as a resource. And like Elise said, lately I've been Googling stories more often, um, <laughs> and that uh, you're able to find some some there as well. Um, but yeah, limited resources in that area from my perspective. Um. Yeah, I've I mean probably along the same lines it's funny that we've never actually all met and we seem to be using the same books. So um <laughs> and I I I mean obviously online I look online I I I look at I go to local bookstores and just plow through books and I you know if something looks interesting I I buy it and I give books away and I share them with staff and try to encourage people to find their own you know stories that are interesting to them. Um so you just never know when you're going to find something. <laughs> um, Margaret uh, Reed McDonald, she she has a book called Earth Tales. Have you found that book? Yeah, I have that, that one. Uh, that's a really good book, Zay. You should you should look okay. that one up. Okay, great. Um, that sounds familiar too. I think I've seen that one. I'm pulling up here. I'm just I wanted to pull up this other person. Um, Michael Cadato, is that his name? Yes, I've heard of Kudo. him. Kudo. Is that right? Mike? Yeah. He's going to kill me if he hears this. <laughs> Hopefully he's still right? coming on. <laughs> but he, he in December he's supposed to come on the podcast. Um, oh, really? I yeah. love him. Yeah, I called him and asked him. The, and said, yeah. One so, year he presented at the New York State Outdoor Educators Conference, and he's, he's really wonderful. Yeah. That's so um, now is... We're coming to the end of our program. We've we've used up another perfectly good hour. (laughs) Um, Do you have any final thoughts you want to share before uh, we head off? Um, It's delightful sharing this um, telephone podcast. I never heard the term before, podcast with you. Um, I think we, the three, the four of us, have so much in common and a, a common thread being Eric. Uh, so thank you so much for inviting me. I enjoyed the conversation very much. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I just just want to say thanks to all the storytellers out there because I think that it's I think you serve a really wonderful purpose just in, in our communities and in, in providing connections in our community and in a, in, a, in a world where sometimes those connections those interpersonal connections sometimes get lost. So I appreciate that. And Eric, thank you also because you really brought storytelling to camp for me. Um, I had been doing it and I had seen it, but I think that you sort of brought it to a level that I'd never really been used to before. So it's something that I experienced years and years ago, but I still appreciate. So thank you. Yes, I, I want to thank you too, Eric, because my appreciation for storytelling and my recognition of how important it can be for the camp experience of seeing Eric work with the children at our camp and seeing um, how effective and what a difference that made um, to the individual children hearing his stories and to us as a camp community, how it brought us together as a community as well to share those stories. And I really appreciate talking about it right now as we're all heading into our next camp season, yes. um, reminding myself how how important it really is for us to include the storytelling in so many aspects. And uh, Zay and I got so many ideas from you about how frequently you tell stories at camp. And I'm um, really Great. looking forward to... Uh, Doing, working on that this summer. So thank you, Eric, for the opportunity to talk about it again. Yeah. Well, I have to tell you all three, thank you so much. Well, first of all, you're welcome. <laughs> Second of all, <laughs> thank you all for coming on the show, and I really appreciate it. Um, I want to remind our listeners uh, that coming up, we have Kevin Cordy uh, coming up next week. He looks really exciting. Um, I was just looking up here that October 23rd, Fran Stalling is coming on the show. She's one of the most famous in the storytelling movement. Um, she's very active in the uh, trying to get environmental storytelling up and active. She's, we're going to do a, a show on her talking about telling hope to inspire action. How do you talk about environmental problems with stories without getting really depressed? Wow. <laughs> Which is really hard. And she's been tackling this problem and thinking a lot about it. So um, that show should be interesting if you're if you're into talking about environmental. And, of course, I have uh, Margaret Reed McDonald coming on, but we're going to talk with her about telling across language barriers. And then um, Michael Caduto. Is that right, Elise? Caduto. 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 <laughs> I better keep practicing until he comes on. Um, and, and he's going to talk about stories and about giving and receiving stories and how you do that effectively without insulting okay. anyone. <laughs> he's really good at that, traveling around the world. Um, so thank you all for coming on. It's been a great hour. This guest has written a post for the blog at www.storytellingwithchildren.com. You can make a comment or ask a question in the blog comment box about this discussion. If you wish to join a future discussion live on the call, go to www.storytellingwithchildren.com and sign up to the email alerts to receive future notices of shows. This show was conceived, hosted, and produced by me, Eric Wolf. And to support the show, you may learn more about my storytelling work by going to www.ericwolf.org. The music was created by Mary Kay Croft, and we are much indebted to her contribution. This podcast is the responsibility of Brother Wolf Storytelling and is distributed under a Creative Commons non-derivative license. That means you can copy it and give it away, but you can't edit it or sell it. Thank you so much for listening.